0: guys welcome back to another episode of the fuel better podcast i am your host as always evan lynch your friendly neighborhood sports dietitian today we have an interesting topic one that generally tends to make people squirm but nonetheless i feel it's very important and the stuff i'm going to be talking about today i feel that if anything in my role as a dietitian which is largely a female-based industry and my, my, I suppose, stance in the industry, I work with a lot of athletes, I'm probably bound to talk about this topic because it comes up a lot and it can be pretty sensitive and it can have huge health and family planning repercussions. We're here today to talk about male, sexual function and reproductive health. If you are of Irish nationality, I assume you're very anxious right now. Don't worry. No one else can hear me. If you have earpods on, it's just the two of us. Let's, Let's talk about this. Generally, this is considered to be a topic for people who are 50, 60 plus, and we just tend to think blue pills, that'll sort out your problem. However, I can tell you on good authority from being a clinical dietitian, and from reading the research base, and from working with athletes, that libido issues, erectile dysfunction, um, loss of sex drive, that affects people who you might not think it would, could or should, of all ages. And people might be wondering, this is the Fuel Better podcast. Evan's a dietitian, not an endocrinologist. Why is he here today talking about testosterone and boners and libido and all that and the reason i'm here talking about it is because diet is a huge huge modifiable factor in terms of how likely you are as a male athlete to develop testosterone deficiencies libido issues um reproductive issues it's it's a huge part of this so that that is why i feel bound to talk about it and I'm not a huge social media zealot, though if you don't follow me on Instagram, you should. E-Lynch Fitnut. well worth a follow, in my opinion. While I personally don't spend an awful lot of time on social media, I am aware that there's a general lack of discussion about this, particularly among young lads. Like, I'm, I'm a relatively young lad. I think Dan there in the back room might agree, I'm a young lad, I'm 27. I count as a young lad still. Um... This affects people my age and younger, and people tend not to talk about it because they're embarrassed, they're ashamed. Erectile dysfunction or libido losses can harm relationships, people internalize it, people feel guilty about it. But the reality is, if you're an athlete, or if you have a shocking, shockingly woeful diet, or both, oftentimes it's both of those things, inadvertently usually, you are probably experiencing the mechanistic outcomes of of that. You know, there there are very real mechanisms at play here. It's not that, you know, you're not interested or you're less of a man or you're not attracted to someone. That's actually rarely the case at all with people who suffer from things like this. So I I just hope that you, the listener, if you as a man, particularly a young man, are afflicted with some libido issues, Decrease in sex drive, morning erections, things like that. That's what I'm talking about. Strength of erections as well. If that's something that does impact you, I'd like you to know that it's not a reflection on you as a person. It's not your fault. It's not someone else's fault. That doesn't really make you any less of a man or it kind of impact your masculinity. That's just what people think. And my hope is that I can have your attention for the next 20-ish minutes to talk through some of the dietary components of, of this. And if you're someone who is, you know, maybe family planning, maybe you're late 20s, early 30s, and you have a partner and you're you're athletically active and you're having some of these libido issues, you're worried about your ability to have a child, I'm going to cover fertility as well very briefly in this episode. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And, you know, maybe you're not comfortable sharing this episode, but if you do have a friend who you think or you know for a fact is suffering from this, maybe signpost them towards the podcast. This is this is information that can really change someone's life. I've seen it umpteen times in my clinic. So why? Why are we talking about this? Why am I specifically zoning in on libido and sexual function in athletes, mostly lads? Well, the, the reality is, in female athletes, this has already been well-trodden paths. Loss of menstrual cycles, menstrual abnormalities, menstrual elongations, those are the red flags for under-fueling and very inadequate diets or very high stress levels for females. We don't have such a criteria for lads, or at least we're, we're only starting to get that. And part of the reason for that delay in, I suppose uh diagnostic criteria and I, I guess visibility in this condition for for male athletes is that in 2015 i think female athlete triad was updated to the new definition of relative energy deficiency in sport so it could be unisex it was taught more or less up until 2015 that you know if an athlete had kind of endocrine abnormalities or issues with their sexual function that it was nothing to do with their diet and that's not true at all. So we're gonna we're gonna look at some of the mechanisms at play. But first, I want to talk about the very, very specific symptoms I'm talking about when I'm talking about libido. So the the criteria that exists in some of the questionnaires at the moment, the low energy availability in male questionnaire, it looks at how often you get morning erections. That's supposed to happen, by the way you were supposed to get one of those in the morning. If you do not get one, that's a red flag. So if if you're thinking about it and you're thinking, God, you know what? I don't get as many of those as I used to. That's a red flag. The strength of your erections, if that has dropped, decreased, changed anyway towards a negative, <clears throat> that's a red flag. That might be red flag number two even. Or if you find your interest in sex, all things sexual, libido, sex drive, if that's all starting to drop, that's red flag number three. And when I say red flag, like what is it a red flag of? That is the male version of losing your menstrual cycle. That's why it's so important to recognize this because if we are too embarrassed to say this to a healthcare professional, and very often, I don't know why, maybe there's a couple of reasons, I am often the first person someone will tell about this. And that's when we can start the process of helping them get better, bounce back from it. And just to clarify, if you are in that position now, that step one where you've just realized, oh crap, this is actually something that affects me, I can help. There is There are many, many ways you can, I suppose, make progress and sort this out. The reason it's important to do so, so we're, we're, we're coming back to what is this a red flag of It's a red flag of low energy availability. Basically, you're not eating enough. Kind of like your sports person's version of malnutrition, if you will. And if you're having losses of libido or anything like that, that's signaling to things that are happening inside you. So if that's something that affects you, what that tells me is that you perhaps have perturbations or changes to your hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis that's like the governor for all things reproductive and effectively what's happening from an evolutionary perspective there is your body is realizing hold on now this lad is not eating a lot we are not in a position to bring another human into this puzzle because we ourselves are not eating enough so it shuts down reproductive function much like in the way it does in a female That's all that's happening. It's the exact same mechanism at play. It just looks a little bit different, and it's only been recognised and validated recently as more or less being the male version of that. So, if you're in a position where we'll assume it's dietary related for for now, there are other reasons this can happen, which is part of the we'll we'll talk about. What do you do if you're worried about this? You know, you obviously need to see your doctor to rule out the other more ominous reasons. Um, but if, if your diet is in such a place where it's inadequate or inappropriate to the point that you're shutting down your reproductive function, there's a fair chance there's some other things going wrong as well. So just off the top of my head, if you have low testosterone levels or testosterone levels that are on the lower quadrant, so they're maybe, maybe they're not clinically low, but it's a drop for you, that will be a subclinical deficiency or drop, that can have repercussions for you. So the lower your testosterone levels are, the more likely you are to be a type 2 diabetic, the more likely you are to have cardiovascular disease, the, the less likely you are to keep, build and maintain high levels of muscle mass. And you're going to for sure see that your capacity as an athlete is diminished. So it's really, really important. We're not just talking about sports performance here. And I'm not just, this is not an episode for gym bros. This has very real medical implications. So we should <clears throat> we should be very cognizant of that. And I'm going to just put this in as a side note here. Both the low and high levels of testosterone are equally bad for you in, in different ways, maybe not equally bad for you. Low testosterone causes that whole plethora of, um, cardiometabolic problems issues maintaining muscle mass issues with reproductive health but high testosterone as well and this is often seen by people who abuse steroids or do uh, testosterone replacement therapy maybe inappropriately or illegally to, to be honest Um if you have very high testosterone levels some of the hormonal milieu that that causes decreases sperm quality sperm motility if I'm not mistaken to be very specific so if, again, if you're looking at conceiving in the near future or that's that's part of your plans long term and you're using anabolics, testosterone derivatives or steroids, that's really harming your fertility. So it's not a case of, you know, I'm talking about low testosterone here, the higher the better, not at all. With all things nutrition, we also have with hormones, there is a range that you want to be in. You don't want to be high, you definitely don't want to be low. So that, that's testosterone and just to to square this off as well again, from a sporting perspective and, and this is often seen in tandem with low testosterone levels, if you have low T levels you're far more likely to have low bone mineral density. It causes some changes to IGF-1 um, which is a kind of an anabolic hormone and that has some knock-on effects onto your bone health as well. So the, these things rarely exist in isolation and you will see that in, um, in athletes or in people with low T levels, the low testosterone is rarely just by itself. That's called androgen deficiency. Normally, there is some other symptoms at play. I'm mostly known for my work with endurance athletes, so I'd be remiss not to point out that if you're an endurance athlete, let's say you're an identical twin, but your twin is a power athlete. He does rowing or sprinting or whatever. Because of the fact that you are an endurance athlete, it has been noted that it will be expected that your testosterone levels are 20 to 40% lower than let's say your uh, hypothetically identical twin who's a power athlete it's called exercise hypogonadal male condition and it's part of the it's part of the picture here and we're not 100% sure if it's just the case that it's an adaptive response to endurance work or are endurance athletes just shocking at managing their diets? And it's probably both. Like, it, it's not probably just one of those things. It's likely a mix. Statistically, depending on what study you look at and what type of athlete you look at, the levels and the prevalence of athletes who underfuel or have a low energy availability, it can be up to 100%. Generally speaking, it comes in there to about 25 to 75% very, very reliably. And to to be specific, low energy availability is a state in which your calorie intake, once we take away the cost of exercise, is not adequate to support basal metabolic rate. Basal metabolic rate is your biological functioning. It's kind of like the ESB bill to run you as a person. So if your calorie intake is below your basal metabolic rate, you are going to start seeing some things run sub optimally. So that's that's where you're not able to keep up bone metabolism. You're not able to make white blood cells. So when in reds, immunosuppression is a common side effect. For example, you'll notice that you don't recover often or as well as you maybe once did. And you get, you know, muscle tissue breakdown injuries like uh, tears, damage—it just takes you ages to get over a session because you are running at a at a loss. I suppose is the best and easiest way to think about that. And you're digging into your savings all the time, so that's what low energy availability is. And maybe I didn't I didn't kind of point this out already, but low energy availability, or in layman's terms, not eating enough to pay for the work you're doing and to run your body effectively. If you do that long enough, that's you end up with red S, relative energy deficiency in sport. And if you've never heard of it before, basically call it what it is malnutrition for athletes. And it's well documented in both agendas now at this stage that it does have an impact on cognitive function, gut health, iron metabolism, bone health, uh, immunity. You, you name it, it probably impacts it. It's a multi systemic condition. The only difference between men and women is how it looks. And the real kicker here is it's much harder to spot in lads and it takes longer to become an apparent problem. And the difference is male reproductive um, infrastructure, we'll say, is much less costly to run. So in layman's terms, a womb has a higher ESB build than a pair of testicles. So if you're a female and you don't eat a lot, you run into problems much quicker and much more obvious. Your menstrual cycle cessates and you have some other symptoms with that. If you're a lad, you have to be in an energy deficit for a fairly lengthy period of time, actually. And I'll go through some of the specific numbers here in a minute, maybe show you how you can calculate them. But it takes a lot longer for a male athlete to develop apparent problems. And what I get the impression of is because when an athlete, let's say, decides, right, I'm going to lose weight or I'm going to get very lean or I'm going to start eating well. So interesting side note, oftentimes, well-intentioned, an athlete will try and eat well. And what their perception of eating well will be is cut the carbs, you know, no eating late at night, intermittent fasting, possibly eating more vegetables. What they actually end up doing is giving themselves uh, low calorie intakes, low carbohydrate intakes, and they end up with low testosterone or reds or stress fractures or any amount of those things. But that, that's how it maybe starts. And depending on how severe the athlete restricts their diet, perhaps it takes a couple of weeks for anything to happen. And maybe the athlete, because they've been on a restrictive diet for a while, when they develop libido problems a couple of weeks later, maybe they never link the two things together. Maybe it just doesn't simply come to mind, but it would be a big causative factor that if your calorie intake is way too low, you are going to end up at that. That's kind of your end game right there. So I mentioned low energy availability. And if you know two things about yourself, you can calculate, roughly speaking, your kind of um, your energy availability cutoff point. So low energy availability is calculated in calories per kilogram of fat-free mass. So if you know what you weigh and you know roughly what percentage body fat you are, you can do this for lads 30 calories per kg of fat-free mass is probably a pretty safe place to be. So if we run through an example, let's pretend I'm 100 kilos. I'm not. Anyone watching the video? I think clearly I am not. Um, but let's, let's, let's say I am, and let's pretend I'm 20% body fat. That would mean 80% of me or 80 kilos is fat-free mass. And if I want to be at a reasonably safe energy cutoff point for a male, that's 30 calories per kg of fat-free mass. I multiply 80 by 30, and I get the number 2,400. If I'm trying to assess, is my diet enough? I need to figure out the cost of my training. So you can do that with a VO2 test, you can do that with a power meter, you can do that with your Garmin, will guesstimate, not super accurately, but it will guesstimate, and you can do that energy cutoff point plus training costs. And that's what your calorie intake needs to be for you to be safe from an endocrine perspective. Short term, there is research showing that, you know, energy availability intakes of 10, 15, 20 calories per kg of fat-free mass can can induce some issues over time. You know, the the first thing to go is explosive power in, in most people. Then there will be deficits to iron signaling. Depending on the type and style of diet you follow, then if you have long gaps between meals or low carb intakes, or you really just shock down your calories. It doesn't take very long for you to see a downturn in some of your markers for bone metabolism. So these these things happen over a period of time. It's not perfectly established yet what the exact timeline is, though the performance metrics, iron metabolism, bone metabolism, those things change first and most appreciably. Testosterone changes, changes to sexual function, function, I should say, changes to your levels of luteinizing hormone and its pulsatility, that stuff takes a little bit longer, and it's not fully studied yet. And that's so. That's 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 pretty much where we're at on that. We do know you don't eat enough; you are going to end up with that problem at the at kind of the latter stages. Just to to briefly talk through some mechanisms of how this occurs. I already touched on the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis. So literally the crosstalk between your brain and your testicles and how your body governs how you make things like testosterone, which then directly influences your capacity to have erections your libido and your sperm count and motility. So that's that's one mechanism by which not eating enough can influence libido and reproductive function. Other mechanisms, I kind of alluded to it there earlier. If you're after inadvertently dropping out your carb intake or if you have long gaps between meals or you don't consume carbs before, during and after training, what you might experience is something called a period of low glycogen availability. Or you might experience what's called within-day energy deficiency. So to be very clear, you might go and run through the numbers I mentioned earlier on and you might think, heaven's a fool, I eat enough but still have this problem. The research tells us that eating enough is one thing. But if you, let's say, you take your calories but you only do that in like one or two meals during the day, there will be periods during the day where your energy levels... You might build up a deficit, so there might be an hour or two where you're minus 600 calories for that hour if you're exercising. The easiest way to think about this is if you have someone who's doing fasted training or intermittent fasting and they train fasted, you're already in a negative energy deficit, your glycogen levels are on the floor, and you exercise and you push yourself further into an energy deficit, that is an absolute disaster. That is one of the biggest ways you can crush your endocrine profile. And the research on it showed that people who spend longer in energy deficits during the day and have more severe deficits, i.e. they do faster training, tend to have lower testosterone levels, and they tend also to have higher levels of baseline cortisol. So we're getting into another mechanism here. So long gaps without food or big energy deficits amp up stress hormone levels when your blood sugar starts to drop you start pacing out cortisol that's your your stress hormone so you can liberate glycogen fatty acids to keep you running keep the ship going the thing here is when we looked at that hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis we only looked at the energy deficit model and that 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 shuts it down It's very important to be aware that cortisol can also shut that down. So high stressors. And again, I mentioned that there are other reasons why libido and reproductive function can shut off. Psychological stress is a factor there as well. when we look at cortisol and catecholamines, that's the end. That's the end goal. Those are your stress hormones. Those can be induced by any number of things. So don't think of stress in this context as purely psychological. It can be. It can be you being anxious, having a mental health issue, having a mental health crisis, whatever it might be, having ongoing depression. All those things can raise your cortisol levels. Um, not sleeping that can raise your cortisol levels. In in this context, the big energy deficits and the plummeting effect it has on blood sugar really amps up your cortisol levels. And that's an independent mechanism which shuts down that hypothalamic-pituitary-gonadal axis. So again, if you're listening to this, you now have two points of reference. You have the calories to aim for. You have a pattern of eating to avoid. So if, if you're in the camp that, you know, you you suffer from the big L word, you suffer from problems there, not, not skipping meals, not doing fast training, having carbs frequently, throughout the day even right before bed that's a very good idea you want to promote good glycogen availability at all times that's the key thing here so i'm i'm very much and if anyone follows me or has ever listened to me speaking before you should know or be advised i'm very much not into fasted training or high fat or ketogenic diets the case is more or less being closed on their efficacy in sports performance anyway they're not considered best They're not considered to be overly helpful and they do come with a whole plethora of physical and mental side effects that as a clinician, when I do the cost, you know, the what's that phrase, the cost benefit analysis, it doesn't make sense. So we don't do that. If that pisses you off, maybe you need to take a look at your diet. So I'm going to park that there for a second. Mechanisms then, moving on to other mechanisms. This is an interesting one. and. For my third mechanism here, we're jumping to the thyroid gland. So, and I'm going to go off topic for a second. They did a study on the biggest loser. It was a horrible show in the US, I think mostly. I think they did one in Australia as well, where they put people who were very, very overweight on hugely restrictive diets and exercise regimes. And they all lost a bunch of weight. They did a follow-up study in the States. Most of the participants gained back the weight plus some after, you know, a two-year period, I think it was. And that's a common thing. When you do a restrictive diet, you tend to gain back your weight plus some. The plus some part is the interesting bit. And I know I mentioned basal metabolic rates already, but here's the interesting thing. If you go on restrictive diets, what can happen is your body in an attempt to prevent you from withering away to fuck all, it downregulates your metabolism and your resting metabolic rate can drop by up to 30%. So if you're jumping in studio there with someone like Sean, my good friend, Sean or Kieran, uh, who both offer your, you know, your metabolic testing services. If you do your RMR test and it's 10% below what a predictive equation says, that all by itself is a risk factor for red s that tells us you have metabolic suppression. Why do you have that? What's going on there? That should make you look at your history of dieting. Have you done crash diets in the past? And it should also make you look at your thyroid gland. So, those reductions in metabolic rate almost always come from thyroid levels or your your thyroid panel. The thyroid gland is like your accelerator for your metabolic rate. If you do a restrictive diet, evolutionarily speaking that's not good you know our evolution has not caught up with our environment here 500 years ago rooms like this microphones t-shirts probably didn't exist i i'm not very strong in history maybe they did um you get my point things have evolved very very quickly it is generally in the animal kingdom not advantageous to lose weight so when you go into a calorie deficit your body more or less panics and it changes appetite signaling. It uh, kind of incentivizes you to be much, much less active. It increases your your appetite quite significantly, and you can get this increased efficiency in your mitochondria. And your thyroid gland can change. So the the reason I keep mentioning thyroid here, and I'll get to my point very quickly. One of the reasons your thyroid gland is important as it comes to metabolic plasticity secondary to inadequate food intake or just very low energy availabilities, your thyroid gland is involved in calorie genesis, you burning calories. One of the symptoms of underfueling is being cold. That's, that's one of the symptoms of hypothyroidism. And this is very much seen in the literature. People get drops in their T3 and T4 levels. Those hormones start to drop. Unfortunately, free T3, which is the kind of the most important slash active part of your thyroid gland is rarely assessed in routine blood work but drops in free t3 or increases in tsh tell us that you know maybe maybe your thyroid gland has been impacted here so to to come back to my point if your thyroid gland is off that can have an impact so if, if you have hypothyroidism or thyroid suppression because you've been on a restrictive diet that can also have a direct impact on sperm quality motility and your reproductive health and functioning i suppose that's, that's why i'm mentioning that it's also part of that red picture red's picture i should say if you have thyroid suppression that's not a condition that exists in isolation that has direct implications for bone metabolism as well those are our three mechanisms we have our calorie deficit model We have our poor eating pattern model. We have our thyroid gland suppression model as a result of the same thing. All resulting in huge, huge downturns in the hormones and the processes around healthy reproductive function, around your libido and and all that. And I'd, I'd hope that so far listening to this, hopefully you identify with all of those patterns I've described particularly if you're someone who suffers from this. Because if if you're not ticking those dietary boxes and this has been an issue for you, I don't want to say it's an easy fix, but at least there's light at the end of the tunnel. You know, these, there's rocks to be yet unturned if you have not addressed your diet and you are having ongoing libido or reproductive issues. So what do we need to do? Maybe this is the brass tax. If you're worried that this is something that maybe you're suffering from. That libido problem is uh, an issue you might have. There's a couple of things you should do. You should talk to your doctor. As I said already, sometimes I'm the first person someone tells about this, and it's it's never been. You know, you never laugh or you'd never think. You know, hate to be you. It's just a clinical presentation. It's a symptom. When someone tells me something like this, much like a doctor. Or any healthcare professional that you ever hope to meet. When someone tells me that I'm having libido issues, it's the exact same as someone telling me that I have issues with my weight. I can't control my blood sugar. It's a symptom. It's not something we use to judge you or mock you, or it's not something we'll use to shame you. That's often the biggest reason people don't talk about this because they're embarrassed. Nothing you could tell me could shock me. I've heard it all, I've seen it all, and I'm reasonably young. So imagine, you know, most GPs are a bit older than me for the most part. So they've, they've seen and heard it all. Don't be afraid to tell someone this. You do need to get blood work done, particularly if you're an athlete. If you can get into a sports medicine physician, that will be best. They're, they're well adept to this in a way a GP may not be. And you're probably going to need to get your cortisol levels checked, serum, fasting, cortisol. You're going to definitely need to check your testosterone levels, probably getting a look at your fasting insulin levels, blood sugar control, um, possibly cholesterol. High cholesterol is actually seen in reds, weirdly enough. Uh, People don't expect that, but it is. Um, You're going to want to take a look at your thyroid gland, in particular your T3 hormone level. That's very, very important. And those wouldn't necessarily be routine bloods. So you'd have to have a very good reason to do this, which is probably why you might need to have that conversation from the off. And ideally, as I said, you go to a sports medicine physician your second port of call would be someone like me, not necessarily me, but you know, if it is an issue you have, I can help you with it. To do a dietary assessment, to do this properly, we would need to assess your body fat levels. So a DEXA scan or a skin fold testing. If someone who is Isaac accredited, like I am, we can check your body fat levels with skin fold. It's a very safe and easy way to to estimate your body fat percentage, and we can then work out your energy availability. We can work out your exercise costs. We can look at your carbohydrate intake and your pattern of eating and make sure that your diet is up to scratch with all this. So that that's very much the the plan of action here. Some numbers off the top of my head. For carbohydrate intake, you need five grams per kg of body weight and you need to add in additional carbohydrates to pay for your training so that that number can vary. It can, it can be as little as 30 grams an hour up to 120 grams an hour of exercise but five grams per kg would be your baseline okay some athletes i work with often need to consume 10 times their weight and carbs on any given day depending on the amount of exercise they are doing so we would need to start with that generally we would advise a multivitamin to cover your zinc and selenium requirements to name a few things, but notably zinc and selenium are important for sperm motility, sperm function, spermatogenesis, and generally it's going to result in a better sperm quality overall. If you want food sources of those things, pumpkin seeds, mixed nuts, Brazil nuts in particular, two or three Brazil nuts covers your selenium requirements. If you're not plant-based, you can try some lean beef, some steak, or you can try again your nuts and seeds. That's, that's an easy way to cover your zinc requirements. You do need to tick those boxes. If you're worried that your T levels are low and you're an endurance athlete, it'd be a very, very good idea for you to do two things that are not diet related. Thing number one, start lifting weights. Get some gains in weightlifting and any kind of resistance work is very, very helpful for your endocrine profile uh, as it pertains to testosterone because it's very, very... Um, I'm just going to say anabolic. That's the easiest way to describe it and has a very favourable effect in that respect. Thing number two, watch your sleep. If you have small kids like I do and you sleep terribly, that is not going to help your testosterone levels. Now, I haven't checked mine, but I hope they're fine. I'm going to assume they are. If you're a bad sleeper and you're having these issues, that would be a good place to start. How can you improve your sleep? Can you work on your sleep hygiene? Do you have a routine? Do you use screens too late? Do you consume caffeine too late? These are all things to take into account. Where most people start and where I definitely 100% absolutely would not be starting is supplements. People jump straight to supplements to facilitate improvements in testosterone. And yes, we've all heard it. You can use things like Tongada Lee, you can use your Saw Palmetto, etc. The reality is... That is the tip of the pyramid, and if you're not sleeping well, eating well, training, uh, you're you know training in a moderate way, and including resistance work, you're skipping multiple steps. Furthermore, most of the supplements for testosterone improvement and replacement are hit and miss; like they're not reliable. They're not shown to be reliably consistent. There is some research there that something like fenugreek can help, but again, it would never be my starting point. Point A if this is a problem, GP or sports medicine physician, do your relevant blood work, link in with a dietitian, ideally a sports dietitian. Start sleeping better if you can, dramatically increase your carb intake, make sure you get enough zinc and selenium, probably take a micronutrient supplement like your centrum and work on your sleep that's that's where you start generally speaking and this is anecdotal that tends to work for most people if that doesn't work then you could be looking at being a candidate for something like your testosterone replacement therapy but it probably shouldn't and often wouldn't be step number one that you would take so that's your blueprint okay and I I know I might have frightened a couple of people at the start there with um know, this can be a to do a taboo topic for people but it's really not that big of a deal the reality is the the more kind of freaked out we are talking about this the more of a big deal it is so look i'm going to end today's episode here and i hope you found it helpful or insightful and just to to end on the the idea that if you are a lad and you're you know you're you're an athlete and this is something that is affecting you or you're worried that you might be you might be suffering from it talk to someone definitely don't internalize it don't put it as a reflection of yourself there are many steps you can take there are many people that can help you you just have to kind of reach out and get that help and I would highly encourage you to do so ignoring this problem can result in long-term problems health-wise and performance-wise so you know i am comfortable talking about it i think you should be too okay guys thank you for listening Uh, as always i appreciate appreciate you guys listening i appreciate the feedback i get if you did find this episode helpful or informative please share it tell a friend give it a review this already helps me to keep this podcast going okay until the next time